This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. So Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this time together. Thank you, Lord, that we can spend time in your presence. It's your presence that changes us, that transforms us. Your word, Lord, that is eternal. And again, Lord, we declare our hearts to be good ground for your word. We're not here for entertainment. We're not here to be comfortable. We're not here to have fellowship. We're not here, Lord, because there's nice guys or girls here. We're here to meet with you. And Lord, come and speak to us. Come and change us. Be Lord of our lives. Take ownership. Take possession of our bodies, of our souls, and our spirits. And we ask tonight again that your kingdom will come. Here in this place as it is in heaven. Lord, thank you for your presence. Holy Spirit, you're the guest of honor here. And we acknowledge you in all of our ways. Be glorified. And everyone says, Amen. Great. We are, last week, if you missed out a little bit, we spoke about the power of truth and deception. We're living in times where deception is rife. Uh, in the church, it's the tool of the devil to deceive us. And... Um, wants us to think that sometimes we're following the truth. And how do you stay out of deception? So if you missed that, please catch up. Next week, uh, that big guy from Poch will be speaking here in all the services, morning and two evening services, Gabriel. So don't miss out. Um, but tonight we're going to talk about this concept of enrolling in the army of God. And um, this whole thing, and that's why that video sort of psychs you up. I don't know if the ladies are psyched up, but the guys normally like, hey, we just want to go and get into a jet. Um, or just at least stand around a jet. But uh, um, there was a time in Israel's life, the, the nation Israel, when it was really going crazy. It was... The nation was backslidden. There was a lot of stuff going wrong. The people were at idol worship. Um, they, they mixed with a lot of things of the world and of the, of the things of the day. And so God raised up a couple of people called the judges. And you can read in the book of Judges about these people. One of them we're going to start with tonight. Um, just to quickly repeat, there was a whole sermon this morning on, on this one judge called Gideon. There were a couple of them, including ladies, which was Deborah. So if you're struggling with should women do ministry or not, then, um, or if you say women should not do ministry, then you have a problem with God in the Old Testament of raising up a judge called Deborah. Uh, that does, will not fit into your doctrine if you uh, think that the gospel is just there for men to share. No, there's lots of ladies that share the gospel and we find them in Scripture. And so in Judges, um, God raises up this group of people, and this is sort of the pattern of the Old Testament, you know, um, Israel, the nation would follow God, then they would like be prosperous, and then the prosperity, they'll start to mix with other idols and get backslidden, harden their hearts, then they'll go into slavery, somebody will come to conquer or take away everything, and then God would raise up prophets and say, if you would return, come back to me, I want to call you back to my heart, and then the people would cry out to God, God would have mercy on them, and God would love them, set them free, prosper them again, and then they would start looking at the prosperity instead of to God, and then they'll fall back into idol worship again, and then God would raise up the prophets. There were major prophets, minor prophets in the Bible that would always speak. And so we're catching up with the story in Judges chapter 6, uh, verse 8, where God sort of speaks and sends a prophet. And he says that the Lord sent the prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. I said it last week. God's love language to us is love, sacrifice, the cross. Our love language to Him is obedience. It's not what we say. How many times you say, God, I love you. How many times your intention is to love God. Your love language to God is obedience. It's a response to His voice, to His will, to do the will of the Father. That is my food, Jesus even said. And so here we find this um, scenario where Gideon is sitting. He was a big guy in the army of God. Um, he had a, did a couple of exploits and 
Gideon is in a terrible space. Gideon is hiding in a wine press and he's taking little bits of corn and heating it out with a little stick. Uh, normally they would uh, break out the corn through oxen um, and definitely not in a wine press. So Gideon was hiding and Gideon was in a mode or a mood of survival. Really just trying to provide for his immediate family. He's very afraid. The nation of Israel is in its canon and say canon. Things are going really bad because of these Midianites. And these Midianites were thousands, thousands of them encamped on the plains. And then whenever, just before the meat got, got ready, just before the wheat got ready, just before, then they would come in, they would plunder Israel. And literally these people were now, Israel was in the survival of the fittest. And so Gideon is hiding because he doesn't want anybody to see. He's hitting out with a little stick so that nobody can hear that he's actually breaking out the wheat or the corn. So he's just trying to provide. He's not in a good space, and he's really, really afraid. Like the rest of Israel, they're just hiding away. And this is this moment when God decides he really doesn't care about Gideon's circumstances or his fear, but God sends an angel, and this is what happens. Now, the Lord, angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was an Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Ashbrel, which his son Gideon threshed, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress, in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. <laughs> And so Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all these miracles which our father told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. So Gideon was wounded. He was offended. So the first thing, God comes and God says two things to him. The Lord is with you. You mighty man of valor. That's the second thing. So God says first that God is with him. And then he says like you, who you are, Gideon. And then Gideon just immediately says what he thinks and what he's been sort of cornered to do. And that is to blame God for things that go wrong in his life. He's wounded and he says, why, Lord? Why have you forsaken us? Why do I not experience you? Why am I disappointed, discouraged? I've got unmet expectations. We are Israel. We called your people. But why did you allow this? Isn't it amazing when it's going tough, then people blame God. When it's going good, people forget about God. When it doesn't rain, oh, we pray for rain. Oh, we're on our knees for rain. Lord, oh, when the exams come up, oh, Lord, please help me in the exams. But the rest of the time, ooh, that's what we do as people. And so the Lord says these two powerful things. says, Gideon, I'm with you. And Gideon, you are a mighty man of valor. And then he says like, where were you? Why? Come on. That's what people do. And so some things we can learn from this first encounter, this first moment is God calls us in his strength, not our own strength. God calls us despite our circumstances because he calls us to be with him first. He says, I'm with you. And so the second part, because Gideon is still not, he's still hiding. He's just thinking like, let me survive here. Let me just make it through here because I just want, I just want bread on the table tonight. Verse 14, then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. And then God asked a question. Now, whenever God asks you a question, don't be quick to answer. Don't be quick to jump to conclusions. Just keep quiet. I mean, that's a tip. A tip. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, this is Gideon again, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Excuses, excuses, excuses. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you. So, so the Lord Gideon, you didn't hear the first time. I told you I'm going to be with you. The second time I say, surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. So, so that's so typical of us as people. That's so typical of the church today in the West because we are sometimes more afraid of COVID than when we are of God, or we're sometimes more like passive and comfortable 
and making excuses just like Gideon. But the Lord says, have I not sent you? So he says, how can I, Lord? How, it's too big for me. I'm, we're full of fear. We're shameful. We're intimidated by all these Midianites, by the circumstances. I'm weak. My tribe is not cool. You know, I don't wear the, the, the best shoes. You know, our, our matric tops didn't look that nice this year. Or, you know, uh, it's not as good as that. You know, we, we're just not the cool people around. You know, we just, you know, we didn't get so many hits on Instagram or just so many likes on this. And it's just like, you know, TikTok, you know, the talk ticked, you know. There's no TikTok in my life, you know. I'm, I'm not like that, you know. I'm, I'm not the coolest, you know. I don't have a following, you know. But I love what it says. The Lord looked to him and he turned. The Lord looked to Gideon. And so what he does is he talks about God's, he says, have I not sent you? First is this whole thing of his identity, but the second thing is of his commission. The fact of being sent by God. God sent us in a mission, on a mission in his might and in his authority. But he doesn't just like say, hey, go there and try things. He says, I'm actually going to give you a promise, Gideon. You are going to conquer the Midianites. Isn't it amazing when God sends you on a mission, he gives you a promise of what, that, what will happen? <laughs> and, it, and it's just crazy. It's just the greatest adventure of your life is to do the will of God for your life. You'll be a miserable person for the rest of your life and frustrated if you're just going to try to find your own route and your own ways. And I want to climb the success ladder and I'm making my decisions. You know how many people come and say like, oh, I'm going to look to where my next job opportunity is. Christian, have you prayed about it? Christian, have you asked maybe where God wants you? But, it, but it's amazing how unspiritual we become when we're in a tight spot. It's amazing how we blame God for our things that go wrong and say, like, where were you? And what was the miracles those people talked about there at Shofar, you know? Because I haven't seen a miracle, and therefore I'll point the finger at you. And We're always first. And that's when we need to be very careful because what happens is the devil is the accuser of the brethren. And what he begins to do is he accuses us before God. But then what begins to happen is we begin to listen to those accusations and then we begin to accuse God. And the moment when you start to accuse God, then what begins to happen, you also start to begin to listen to what the devil, how he accuses you. And you listen to that accusation and then you start to believe those lies. You're just of the tribe of Manasseh. You're just the weakest in your father's house. You will never make it. You'll never amount to anything, especially not for God. Because you know what? You're not super spiritual. You, you're not, you're not. So what we begin to do is we become captive to do the will of the devil in our own lives by believing the lies that he speaks. And he's called the father of lies. So I can, I can just imagine. I've got a lot of compassion for Gideon because here he is. He's just trying to survive. He's just trying to get through Finac 178. You know, one seven late, you know, in ach ach, laat my lach, my in seven ach is nach. You know, I, I studied B accounting. We had all these sayings, it's still going around. That's just an internal joke for all the B act people, okay? But we, 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 we would say all those things, you know? And so, if you don't know God's commission, if you don't know that God has sent you, and as a Christian, you are on an assignment here in Stellenbosch. You're not just here to study, to go through life, to go Mr. Bean. <laughs> you know, I'm Mr. Bean. Oh, and you, Mrs. Benina, you know, you think like, wow, people, is there not more than this? Is there not a cause why we live? And, and this is sort of the place where a lot of Christians are finding themselves. They're sort of like stuck in a rut. They're stuck in first gear. And you know there's a fourth gear. You know there's a fifth gear. But how are you going to get there? <laughs> In the strength of God, when you realize that He is with you, not your own strength, not trying harder, you know. You're not going to overcome any of your sins by just trying harder or becoming a better person. The main focus of your will, the will that God gave you, the will to choose, the will, is not to try harder to do something, but is actually to surrender. So once... That will of yours and this will of mine bows the knee to him. 
we give up control, then he becomes Lord. And then the will of God can be done. Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. So, so we're conditioned, especially in South Africa, just to apply your will more, just to become a better person. As long as you're better than the person around you, and as long as you can prove something, and you, uh, you know, climb the ladder, all that stuff. But your will has never been made to just do more exercise, force yourself more to perform. Your will has been made to surrender. And that's why the cross is so powerful. Because the cross started in Gethsemane called the wine press, the place where the grapes are pressed so that life can flow out. The olives can be pressed. So if you take an orange and you squash the orange, what happens? You get orange juice. If you get the Christian and you squash the Christian, what do you get? Manifestation of anger and emotions at... <laughs> So yeah, Gideon was squashed a little bit, and the worst came out. God, why you? God, why me? Why would you call me? I always laugh because before I start sharing here on a Sunday, I'm always reminded of the fact that I stuttered and couldn't speak. So I just think, Lord, this is a joke. The fact that I will speak in front of people. And I could literally not speak one sentence without stuttering. Stuttering for those in Afrikaans, okay? Hakel for those in Afrikaans, okay? But so, so, so here's this moment where God, and you must go and study this amazing story of how God then begins to challenge Gideon to come out. Because the next thing that he does, you can go and read it from verse 25 onwards, is to destroy the altars and the idols of his father. And Gideon is very afraid because now he's had this encounter with God, but he realizes like, hey, for me to get to where God wants me to do, I need to say, I, I want an inheritance. I, I want to walk in a legacy, but a kingdom legacy, not a legacy of having a lot of things or a lot of great stuff or a lot of great breakthrough, a legacy that Christ died for. And so in the middle of the night, Gideon goes in, he tears down the altar. God gave him instruction in a vision. He tears down the altar, breaks down the wooden stuff, and he erects another altar. Because this whole nation was full of idol worship. And it's, this isn't for people out there. Here in Stellenbosch, you know how much idol worship here is. We worship the mountains and the beautiful nature. We worship our bike riding. We worship our surfing experiences. We worship our coffee shops. We worship... Anything you put above the Lord Jesus Christ in your life is an idol. And so when God moves, the first response of obedience is always you have to tear down the altars. You have to repent of the altars. You have to erect the right altar in your life, an altar of worship. And so here the story picks up because now suddenly God begins to show himself. Suddenly God begins to, to jump and God begins to do stuff, and then God calls an army, and you just go to point number six. I'm going to come back to point number four. But there's this fearless army, because it starts with, now Gideon is excited. He had the, has the word of God. He's, God came through for him by his own parents, and people just saying, hey, Baal prophets are destroyed, because pe the people wanted to kill Gideon, and then God brings a breakthrough. Gideon puts fleeces out for God, prays over it, and then he realizes, okay, God is with him. He's, he's really, God is with him. What God said is true. And then the Lord says, okay, we're going to raise up an army. And do you know what he does? He calls the trumpets and the prophets and everyone out, and 30,000 people come out. And God says, uh, too many people. The only problem is the Midianites were probably 500,000. So odds against us, okay? <laughs> Stacking against us, you know? So Gideon thinks like, maybe we can make it with 30,000, but the Lord says, get everyone together and everyone who's afraid, send them home. What, Lord? I would have uh, counted twice the number of feet and ankles and, you know, because I want this 30,000 to multiply. And the Lord says, no, 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 send them away. 20,000 go home. 10,000 remain. Then the Lord says, okay, we're going to do something else. We're going to go down to the water, and then whoever 
sits at the water and drinks water like this with their eyes on the horizon because they are vigilant, focused, ready, choose those ones. All the rest that sit and drink like this, send them home. And 300 stay. You think like, what? <laughs> this is impossible. And Gideon with 300 defeats the Midianites, the Horobites, the Canaanites, the Parasites, the Letusites, the, all the sites, all the bites, all the big corn bites, all the small, small corn bites, all the corn bites that you can think of. They all just, if you forget the name, just think of a ites or a bites or a sites or something. Yeah? Beautiful story of God restoring a nation through one person and a couple of people that were not afraid. People that were not bowing to the culture of the day and the idols of the day because they experienced something different. They knew God was with him. And it, it took quite a while for Gideon to get grasp that, you know. It wasn't just like, oh, that's easy. Let's write in my diary and tomorrow. No, no, no. You need an encounter with God. You need that moment when the angel appears and says, hey, I'm with you, you mighty man of valor, you mighty woman of valor. And do you know what you do? Is You just think like, talking to me? Somebody hiding here, you know? There's somebody here tonight that have got a lot of thoughts of suicide. You're really struggling with voices in your head. Suicidal voices, just you've, you're here tonight in this service and you're, you're very afraid. And you're afraid of death. Whenever you're ready, I want you to walk out. Please interrupt me. Because this whole service has been set up for that one person. Maybe there's more than one, but I know there's one. There's one that needs to respond to the life that Jesus offers. So when you're ready, I want you to come. Because we're going to pray for you. We're going to interrupt the whole service so that you can have life. But so <clears throat> there's a war going on. And there's a war. Uh, it's a cultural war. It's a war of tolerance. It's a war of don't be bold, just be passive, just be comfortable, just be afraid. I'm not saying, I'm not talking about fundamentalism tonight. Because if you are really passionate for the cause, but you're not motivated by love, you're going to cause destruction in the kingdom of God and in the world. Because the motivation of whatever we do as Christians in this Spiritual war is to love God and to love our neighbor. We don't hate people. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against people out there or the liberals out there or the theologians out there or the this out there. We never fight against people. We love people because Jesus died for them. He died for a sinner like you and he died for a sinner like me. But let's not... Become comfortable and start to have a Christianity that is a cultural Christianity and a Christianity that is just goes with the flow. If you are here tonight and you are receiving, you are receiving no persecution for the fact that you are a Christian, then you need to reevaluate your Christianity. Because then you're not living a biblical Christianity. You're not a threat to the devil. You're just blending in. You're just going with the stream. And those same people that put you on a pedestal, they'll pluck you from that pedestal. Those same people that you so want your opinion to be known and their opinion to be known, you just want to be friends, friends with everyone. They're waiting for you to tell them the truth. They're waiting for you to love them with the love of Christ. They're waiting for you to be bold. And God placed you in that friendship group. <laughs> Ooh, it's getting very quiet here. It's getting very quiet, Chris. Why is it so quiet here? I went there to Chris's factory, what, three, four years ago. It's just amazing. Before the drought, the Lord told them, 
change everything into water, or not into water, but they have a little laundromat there in Cape Town. How many tons of laundry do you do a day? 15 tons of laundry. So it's a big laundromat, okay? They do like a massive factory, probably the size of this hall. But it's amazing when people, even in business, they hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and God says to them, hey, recycle all your water before the drought comes. They think like, wow, Lord, we can be two steps ahead, even in our business, even in our work. That student doesn't mean you can ask God for your exam paper, okay? You need to study. That's not a word for some people. Yeah, I could see some people like, like think like, oh, oh, the Lord is on my side. Okay, you need to study. That's a word from the Lord. But so what happens here in 2 Corinthians? I'm still waiting for that person. Whenever you're ready, you can come, eh? 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1 to 11. This is, a, this is sort of a, in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. It's called the book of order. And we'll find that how Paul writes to the church in Corinth. And most of Scripture um, that Paul wrote was corrective, was instruction, was to sort out things in relationships. So if you want to really be part of church, it's going to be messy. It's, it's going to be challenging. Peter and Paul challenge each other. Paul writes a lot of his letters to local churches. The answer is the local church. The answer to the world's problems is the local church. The tool God wants to use is the local church. Not lone rangers, not ministries out there, not TV ministries. It's a bunch of people that hock in together, hake in together, and they go together and they are tense with each other. They're building relationship. I said it the other night, you know, John Ortberg in his church, they have a saying with small groups. They say, Join a small group or die. So like, I like that, you know. Because you're not designed as a Christian to make it on your own. There's a war going out. There's, you are in a war situation. It doesn't mean you need to be tense, but when you're afraid and when you're passive, you're withdrawn. And you don't actually realize that the thief is climbing through your back door and through your back windows. And there's a lot of open doors and you need to close those doors because nobody else is going to do it. You need to do it. You need to make sure that the property and the stewardship God has given you for your body, for your soul, is intact. Because the devil doesn't take prisoners. He doesn't play games and say, you and me, ching chong chai. And let's see who wins. He comes for the kill. So in 2 Corinthians 10, sort of a, a lot of accusation that came against Paul and his apostleship. And it's amazing. Paul wasn't afraid. He wasn't like intimidated. But Paul knew his authority in Christ. The demons knew that. You know, when the seven sons of Sceva want to cast out demons, the demons say, well, Paul we know and Jesus we know, but who are you? <laughs> Maybe a question tonight to each one of you is, what does the spiritual realm say about your life? Do they recognize you? So, Paul is in a bit of a challenge because Paul was quite weak in his body. And so the people started to judge him and say like, oh, you know, you're just this guy, you know. And there was a lot of accusation against him. And now Paul writes this. And he's not trying to defend himself because, hey, we shouldn't vindicate ourselves or try to like say we're these big guys or these this, this or that. But in verse 1 he starts and he says, now I, Paul... Myself, the right stuff. Hello. <laughs> We're going to just take a moment. Will you just stretch out your hands to her? Father, we want to thank you, Lord. That when you speak, we can just obey because there's grace for us to obey. And there's no shame. There's no fear, and there's no death. Because Jesus, you bring life. And even this evening as your church, we come around our sister and we thank you, Father, that we can place her in your hands and that your word is true. And we just right now take authority over every lie, over every demonic thought, 
over every spirit of death, and we break it over her life. Lord, every suicidal thought, Father, the voices that want to speak, Lord, and lie and take hold of her and isolate her, Father, we just say no. We say no, Lord, because the blood of Jesus, Lord, speaks. And we want to plead the blood of Christ over her, Father. We thank you, Lord, that there's an open door into your throne room right now, and we step through it. Thank you, Father, for a conscience that will be clean and every voice to be silent except the voice of God. And Father, we thank you, Father, for angelic visitations. We thank you, Father, for deliverance. We, do, we call, Lord, this prison door to open up right now, Father, that has come even through the family lines, Lord, and stuff, Lord, that the devil has lied to her, Lord, darkness and shadows, Father, from a young age, Father, when those shadows just wanted to fall on her, Father, and especially through the women and the lineage of the ladies, Lord, in her life, Father, we just break that lies in Jesus' name. And right now, Father, we just pray, Father, and we want to thank you. We want to thank you, Father, for life. We say you shall live and not die. Spirit of suicide, we break your lie over a life in Jesus' name. And we just thank you, Father, that she's in your hand. And right now, we release peace and your joy. Thank you, Father, that you love her. And we invite your perfect love to come and cast out every fear in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. No more insomnia, Lord. She will sleep like a baby tonight. Father, I pray for, yeah, just your voice, Father, your comfort, and your call on her life in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just shout to Jesus. Jesus! So, so Paul many times had to step up in that authority that God gave him. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. When in presence I'm lowly among you, but being absent I'm bold towards you. But I beg you that when I am present I may not be bold within that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some. We think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. So the people are judging them according to the flesh. And Paul says, hey, guys, you, you need to wake up. There's a spiritual authority and there's a spiritual position that God calls Christians to, and especially for him as a leader. And then he uses these words. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, meaning every day, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. It's not, it's not humanistic. It's not just stuff we figure out. It's not just like, hey, let's try to be nice people. But he says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So he's sort of measuring the four steps of how the devil challenges Christians. He says it starts with your thought life. If you don't take those thoughts captive, it becomes an argument. If you don't take that argument captive and you war against it, it becomes a high thing, like a mountain in your life. And if you don't take that mountain and you conquer that mountain, then it's going to become a stronghold, like a fortress in your life. And he says the way you start to battle as a Christian and to be challenged is in your thought life, is you have to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Ephesians talks about it and says you must put up the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the enemy because the devil is going to come. He's going to shoot arrows at your head and say, hey, just like he got Gideon in a place where Gideon didn't just have a couple of thoughts. There was a high thing. There was a stronghold in his life. And it was there in the whole nation because of fear, because of lies. And that's how the devil works through the deception and lies and fears. And he says, Hey, you need to take it captive. You need to learn to renew your mind and think of biblical things and worship the Lord and read Scripture. That's why when you read Scripture, read it out loud. Don't just like, because then, and don't sit in your bed when you read Scripture. The spirit of Duvay will take complete control of your body, okay? See, it's, it's just going to take over. Some of you submitted to that spirit yesterday when it was raining all day. Can I get all the people that confess? Mm, no, 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 just raise it high, raise it high, come confession time. 
Yeah, yeah, from 9 a.m. No, 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 it went through the whole night and then till 9 p.m. was the first time you came with your pantoffles out of your bed, you know? What's pantoffles in English? Slippers, slippers, okay. But in any case, so, in, so, so Paul says like, hey guys, even in your minds, he says there's, there's, there's challenges, there's a war going on for the way that you think. So if you're going to start to believe that fear... Do you know what? What you're going to start to believe will happen to you. What you believe over our nation will happen. They asked once, you know, they asked um, Reynard Bunker, can a Christian have a demon? And then he said, yeah, a Christian can have whatever they want to. Paul says, don't give place to the devil. That means, hey, you can give place to the devil in your life. James says in James 4 verse 7, he says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If you submit to God, meaning that his lordship is, gives you that authority, but then it also means that, hey, sometimes there's going to be resistance. Vainant, come here quickly. Let me find another big guy. Daniel, come here quickly. Oh, you wanted to hide, come. Okay, stand there. Daniel, stand there. Okay, face each other. You know what's going to happen over here, okay. Okay, you both signed the indemnity form before the time, did you? Okay, because normally if the male ego kicks in, it's big. Okay, but okay, we're going to take it slowly. This is not a competition, and this is not to prove anything to the ladies in the room. Okay, so just... just so, so you, Vainant, want to get here, and you are going to resist him a little bit. Okay. Uh, just a just little bit, just a little bit. Okay. Remember, he's got a snore. It is there. Okay, and it will cost you 70 rand if you touch it. But so, okay. So, Vainant, try to get to me, but, but we're going to, and yeah. <laughs> okay, Daniel, don't look at me. Look, okay. This, this is going to get interesting. I just know it, okay? But so... You must resist, okay? You're little softies, okay? But in any case, so if, you, if somebody resists you, it means like, hey, you know, I want to sort of like, don't touch your pasta, okay? But in any case... <laughs> no, I'm joking, I'm joking. It's... So, so some people think like, oh, I'm going to just pray a prayer and then the devil goes away, you know. A scripture a day keeps the devil away. But that's not how it works. The devil is going to resist you. By the way, there's only one place where God says he will resist you. And that's when you have pride in your heart. God gives grace to the humble but resists the proud. Because pride is birthed in self-righteousness, meaning I can do it. I'm... I'm going to be the super Christian. But when you submit to him, his lordship, his word, then you need to resist the devil. And he's going to come knocking on your door, Josh. He's going to come knocking and say, hey, I want that life. I want that legacy. I want that purity. Oh, Ulrich, where are you going? No, no, you can't go now. No, 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 you can't go now. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. You can go. But come He's going to the bad room. Okay. So verse 4. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. I want you to read this with me. Say, For the weapons of my warfare. Oh. Okay. Okay. For the weapons of my warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Wow. But you know, most of the church in the West is passive. Doesn't even believe God has given you weapons of your warfare. And most important, doesn't even believe demons exist. 
and doesn't believe angels exist. I told some of the second years that um, I have a friend in Cape Town. One of his best friends was in a big car accident in a hot bay. One of these Fritos buckies with these big wheels drove over them, and the guy basically died. And so they, somebody stopped next to the road, took them to the hospital. That night, 12 o'clock, fighting for his life in the ICU, they were sitting outside and just praying through the night, praying through the night. But as they arrived at the hospital, two doctors came in who did the operation. The next day, when they wanted to go back to the doctors to thank them, there was no record in the hospital that those doctors exist. Huh? The Bible says, be nice to strangers because you may entertain angels. Verse 7, do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him again, again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ, even so are we are Christ. For even if I should boast somewhere or somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification, and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed, lest I seem to terrify you by these letters. Because what the accusation was against Paul is like, oh, you're writing all these letters. But when you come to us, you're quite weak in your body. And then Paul says like, hey, please don't judge with the outward. Because you're not spiritual. And so Paul says, God has given me this authority. And you don't obviously, you've not learned this authority because the church at Corinth was a very fleshly church. They were very carnal. He tells them, I wanted to give you meat, but I can only give you milk because you need to grow up in maturity and you have got no clue what's happening spiritually. You're blind, he says. So he says, now you judge me according to the outward, but you don't understand spiritual things. And so Paul might as well have written that letter to the church in the West. And so the call tonight is for each one of us to say like, hey, I want to be ready. I want to be a spiritual person. Because spirituality is not about jumping up and down. Spirituality is not about how many times you can quote a couple of scriptures. Or about your hero in the faith that you watch on YouTube. Spirituality happens when the demons start knocking on the door and you know your identity and your authority in Christ. When you've learned to step up and say, hey, spirituality starts when you start to take responsibility for that neighbor of yours that's not saved and you start to pray for her. You start to say, Father, what you did in my life, this is not just now about my own entitlement, my life, my nice existence as a Christian, but I want to become a laborer. I want to become a warrior for Christ. I want to intercede, Lord, for these people around me, you know. I want to pray for this resonance that I'm in that is going one way, Lord. They don't even acknowledge you, but I pray for your power. I pray, Lord, that your, the Christians in this race will not be ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. Father, I want to pray that you stretch out your hand and that you'll heal and touch and deliver and set the captives free because this is not a game. This is, this is life. Or death. And then suddenly an urgency begins to arise in your heart because it's not about you. You said yes to the kingdom of God. And my wife was in the army. She can shoot a gun better than I. Okay? She's a very quiet person. She doesn't talk so much or so little as I do. But it's amazing. When she tells you about the army... Do you know if you're in the army, you don't go to sleep without your boots on. When you're in a war situation, you're always ready even when you're sleeping. And spiritually, why do we take our armor off? Paul says in Ephesians, put on your armor. Put on the helmet of salvation. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Shield of faith. Sword of the Spirit. Readiness of the gospel on our feet. Girdle of truth. There are many Christians that have dropped their armor. And by reason of use, you begin to learn what it means 
to have the shield of faith. By reason of gifts and what God has called you to do, that's why we do this SOS this weekend, is so that we can activate people. Because there's a lot of people that say, yeah, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, but they never, there's no lifestyle in their lives of God using them. And the invitation is God says, hey, I want to I wanna use you. I want to tell you that you're also a Gideon. I want to tell you, hey, mighty woman of valor, mighty man of valor. But you have to come out from where you are at that wine press where you believe all those lies about who God is. And secondly, about who God says you are so that you can come in. And then, you know what? You need to cast the idols out, cast the fear out of your heart, get rid of the fear, take the thoughts captive and say, Lord, here I am. Use me. Did I not send you? Saki, you're on a mission. Not when you go to Ukraine and Jordan and Russia. Every day as a Christian, you're on a mission for God. We are the sent ones. We're the commissioned ones. We're the ambassadors of God himself to this world. But you know what? Many of us live in the world as if this is our home. And God says, no, it's not. You're just passing through. You're just a pilgrim. You cannot be rooted here. Be rooted in his love. Be grounded in his truth. But you're eternal being. And for me, the barometer for your maturity as a Christian is very simple. How much do you long for Christ's return? Most Christians in the West have got no idea. And they really don't long for it, for him. Because do you know what? We enjoy our lives too much. We're too comfortable. We're too focused on earthly things, successful things, worldly things. But the Lord says, I want to raise up a generation of warriors. Not worry with a long I, worry with an I-O-R, okay? Warrior. Some of you didn't get that. Being anxious or worry, okay? Being a warrior for Christ and say, Lord... I'm just like that Gideon. <laughs> Lord, I'm clueless, but here I am, send me. Lord, use me to at least stand so that the next generation, my children's children, can walk with the fullness of God. You know, my great-grandfather was an evangelist. I got his names. But he would go from farm to farm, and then if you didn't repent, he would hit you with the sambok. So it was a different, more of fire brimstone ministry. Are you going to repent? No. Bah! Are you going to repent? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so some methods in the old days that I don't think worked that well, you know. But, um, but you know why I'm standing here today? Because of people that prayed for me and people that left a legacy that didn't want to compromise. Every time you compromise, you make it more difficult for the generations after you to follow God. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Whatever God does in your life has at least three generations in mind. So when God maybe heals you or God takes you through a process of deliverance, do you know what happens? He's got your children's children in mind. And so you can become that platform for them to follow God fully. How many of you are here because a grandmother or a mother or a father really interceded for you? Come, raise your hand. You want to sin, you want to be the sinner of sinners, but you just know you can't get away with it. Why? Because somebody is praying for you. Hey, Ulrich? Yeah, yeah. I always laugh when I see Ulrich because where's Talita? Is she here? Talita did internship. Where are you? Maybe I saw her here this morning. Is she at the back? Oh, other service, in the other service. But so Talita did internship and then Ulrich in his um, hangover state, would come and drop his, daughter, his sister there at the office. But he would never come in. He would just sit in the car, and he will stare at us. And then Talita would walk in, and she would wave as she is always friendly, always nice. And then she'd say, like, you're going to get saved. We're praying for you. And then when he gets in the door, Father, we pray for Ulrich. Lord, open up his eyes. Let him see you, Father. Let him encounter your love. And today he's a worship leader. Amen. Well, he doesn't even need a guitar or a mic. You can hear him from where he is because I just hear him from the back there. He's got this voice. Will you stand with me tonight as we're going to conclude?
So coming back to number six, there's a, some homework for you. If you are on this group tonight, then you would see that, um, that you received the slides, and you can go and find out where these scriptures are. Beautiful scripture. The Bible talks about be sober, be vigilant. Having done all to stand, stand. Be ready in and out of season. Are your lamps full? He talks about these wise virgins that were ready for his return. They were foolish virgins that didn't make it in, but they were also waiting for his return. But their lamps were not full. The Bible says, test the spirits. Put on the whole armor of God. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks always. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and all the powers of the enemy, and by no means will they hurt you. The one we read tonight, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, it's not worldly, but it's mighty to pull down those strongholds over your life, over your mind, over a nation. When the people of God begin to realize like, hey, we have a different DNA. We have the DNA of Christ. We have a spiritual DNA and a spiritual inheritance. And I want to be part of that. I want God to use me. I don't know about you, but I want God to use me and say, God, there's so many people that are trapped. And Jesus didn't just come to say a nice message. He said, I came to set the captives free. I came to heal the brokenhearted. I came to bring liberty to those who are oppressed. I came to declare the year of Jubilee. Do you know what the year of Jubilee was? Every 50th year, all the debt were canceled in Israel. All the original land was given back so that there would be no slavery. Because God hates slavery, especially spiritual slavery, especially emotional slavery. Why would we settle for second best? When Jesus died, not just for your salvation, even the word salvation is the word sozo, S-O-Z-O, which means to be born again, to be healed, to be delivered, to be set free, to walk in the promises of God, to live a sanctified life. Everything, Jesus died for that. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.